1: those of you who don't know me, my name is Kirk. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, It is my great privilege to bring to you uh, God's perfect and precious word uh, this morning. Let's begin by uh, maybe dividing the room in half. Uh, There there are some people that are, um, we would call them optimists. They are uh, glass half full people. Uh, They they have that can-do attitude right? They're optimists. Okay, we've got one. There's one, <laughs> maybe not so much. Okay, so the, the other half of the room maybe are uh, pessimists, okay? This is the glass half empty type of person. Uh, their their uh, general outlook on life is, I'd rather not. Um, they, they, so, so if we tried to say, okay, which one are you, maybe you would say, well, those, those categories are a bit too broad and, and we need to narrow it down because maybe in some situations you find yourself kind of leaning more towards pessimism and maybe in other situations you find yourself leaning more towards optimism. So let's ask this question a little bit more specifically. When it comes to people and change, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Meaning uh, the optimist would say, no, no, people, people really can change. The, the optimist would say, if, if I'm experiencing um, uh, maybe sinful behavior or sinful desire in my life, I'm an optimist. I know that people can change. All I need to do is just pray a little bit and do a little bit of Bible study and, and boom, I'm, I'm on the road to change. The pessimist says, no, people are what they are. People don't change. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's, it's, just, it's just the way that person is. Now, there's danger in both of those. Now, here is the danger in, in optimism. Usually people who think that people can change are usually overly optimistic, meaning they believe that people can change at a faster rate than is actually possible. Meaning, uh, okay, so the optimist uh, might say something like this. Okay, I've been I, my, in my relationship with the Lord. I know that I've really been struggling with anxiety over money. Right? Anxiety over money. I've I've been struggling with that, so they do a Bible study on Monday about money, a Bible study on Tuesday, Uh, they pray on Wednesday, they fast on Thursday and expect change on Friday. The overly optimistic person who believes that people can change often finds themselves disappointed because the rate of change is not as fast as they would like it to be. Now, the, the other, like the other side, the pessimist doesn't believe that that person can change. They don't believe that they can change, and so they don't try anything at all. In church family, we have to avoid both of those things. And we certainly, we certainly have to avoid the secular idea that people don't need to change at all. So, <clears throat> what we're going to be looking at Today in this text is is this idea of uh, of divine power which enables us to change. So this morning, this this sermon is for the person that feels defeated and stuck. The, this this sermon this morning is for uh, the text. This the sermon is for the person who says, "I, I feel like I'm just always going to go to that website. I know that I should not, but I I just feel like I, I'm always going to do it. I'm stuck." The, the person who says, I'm, I feel bitterness in my marriage, and, and we've, we've done everything that we know to do. We've prayed, we've read the Bible, but I just feel bitter at my spouse. And, and it's just always going to be that way. This sermon, the text this morning is for the person that says, I'm frustrated with my kids, and I don't know what to do, and I feel like I'm just always going to be the frustrated parent. I don't want to be the frustrated parent, but I feel like I'm stuck. This text has hope for you this morning, if that's you. This text lets us know that there is power to change. There is power to overcome, that that we are not stuck, Christian. If you're here this morning, you are not stuck. There is power to change. There is a future where things are different and better through the power of Jesus Christ. And so this isn't a, hey, you can do it sermon. This is a Jesus can do it in you sermon. And so if you want to know the big idea of the sermon today is this. This is the whole sermon right here. Real change is possible through the power of Jesus. Real change is possible through the power of Jesus. You're not stuck. You don't have to be stuck. There is real power to defeat sin, not because you can do it, but that Jesus can do it in you and through you. So we have started this uh, book of second Peter this fantastic letter uh, written by Peter very interestingly enough this is it's this letter is kind of his his swan song. this is the last um this last thing that he's that he's trying to to say before he before he dies just look at verse 14 it says since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord uh, Jesus Christ has made clear to me he's going to die soon he's pinning this letter um, so you can just kind of see the and feel the urgency of him trying to communicate uh, before before his death and so last week we started we got through verse two by God's grace we'll do another two verses this morning now, as is our custom, what we've been doing is doing a flyover of the text, meaning we look at the text as a whole from a 30,000-foot vantage point, kind of getting a grasp on the whole text, and then we've been kind of landing the plane and working through uh, working through the text kind of section by section. And so that will be our, our method this morning. Let's look at the, the flyover or the, the big idea, kind of try to get a grasp on, on this text. It is It is incredibly dense. It's incredibly... Rich, he opens up with this main point. This main point, this big idea right here is incredibly rich. Look at it. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Wow. Listen, church, somebody should have said amen right there. We can can do like a (laughs) six-month sermon series just, just on that phrase right there. That his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, how does this divine power then come to us? How do we, how do we then receive this divine power that we need for all things pertaining to life and godliness? Well, I, I think there are two methods or two ways that we're receiving this divine power. You can see it by these two words here. Through and by. So how do we get the divine power? Through and by. Okay. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge. That's how we get the divine power, through knowledge and by promises. We've received all that we need for life and godliness through knowledge. Okay, what knowledge? Well, we'll, we'll try to answer that question. And we've received this divine power that, that grants us this ability to live a life of godliness by the promises. Well, What promises? We'll have to ask that question when we get into the text. Now, by virtue of receiving this divine power through knowledge and by the promises, there are these two results. Two things happen to us as Christians by virtue of receiving this divine power. That is, namely, you become partakers of the divine nature. When you have received the divine power and, and are filled with life and godliness, through knowledge, and by the promises, the result is you now are partakers in the divine nature. (laughs) What what does that mean that we're partakers in the divine nature? We'll have to discuss that. The, The second result, then, is that we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Okay, So we receive his divine power through knowledge, by the promises resulting in, we become partakers in the divine nature, and we escape from the corruption that is in the world. Got it? Everybody got it? All right, let's do it. You guys ready to dive in? Can, can we do some, some some theology, some scripture reading today? Can we do that? Y'all want to do that? I want to. Let's do it. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. His divine power. Now, <clears throat> who is his? Who is the he in the his here? Um, well, we have to find the immediate antecedent, meaning we have to go backwards in the text and discover who it is that he is talking about. So, so if you go backwards, uh, look at verse 2. May the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of who? Jesus our Lord, his divine power. This is Jesus's divine power. Meaning, um, if Jesus has divine power, that means that Jesus is divinity. Therefore, another um, proclamation of Peter that Jesus is fully God. In addition, what we're seeing is it's his power. It's Jesus's power. So if anybody lives a godly life, it's not because they went out there, they worked hard, they prayed a lot, they read their Bible, and they achieved this life of godliness. Oh no, church family, if you are living a life of godliness, it's because Jesus is doing a miracle in your life. It's because Jesus is transforming your desires. It's because Jesus is changing your heart. It's because Jesus is giving you the the empowerment that you need to avoid sin and become more like him. It's a work of Jesus. It's his divine power. Now, look look who gets the divine power. His divine power has granted to us few, (laughs) has granted to the elite. No, 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 church family, if you are a Christian here this morning, you have received the divine power. No. You have to understand what, what Peter is doing in writing this letter is he's battling heresy. You remember that from last week? He's battling false doctrine and false teaching, namely uh, what would later become in the second century known as Gnosticism. Now, what, what this idea of Gnosticism is, is that there is, there is spirituality and within spirituality, there's a, a secret knowledge. And this secret knowledge actually allows you to be the elite, the, the upper class, the upper crust, right? And so if you can get the secret knowledge, then, oh boy, you are really spiritual. You, you are I mean, you're just a whole nother level. Peter is battling that idea here right off of the rip. He's saying, no, no. His divine power has been granted to us all. There are no black belt and white belt Christians. There's no Eagle Scout and Cub Scout Christians. It doesn't work that way. His divine power has been granted to us all. Now, his divine power has granted to us all, all of us, things that pertain to to life and godliness. So the divine power gets us or grants us everything we need for life and godliness. Let's, let's talk about those two ideas, life and godliness. Well, this, this idea of life, the word life is it's um, it's the, the unpacking or the, the, the shorthand, better idea, the shorthand of eternal life. That's what he's getting after when he's saying it gets you everything that you need for life. Jesus' divine power grants you eternal life, meaning forever with him, you with God, God with you, face to face with the creator of the universe, living forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth. No more crying, no more sin, no more shame, peace on earth forever with him. His divine power gets us that, all of us that, if you're a Christian. Now, not only is, is it granting us that in the life to come, but it's life, eternal life, and, and godliness, meaning a godly way of living here and now. So life with him forever, eternal life, and a godly life, a, a godly way of living here and now. I, I, wonder if, I wonder if you've ever heard somebody say, oh, that person is godly. It's not something that we say a lot, is it? Now, we've heard people called religious. You know, that, that guy, oh, man, he's religious, which, which is strange because if you read church history or know anything about church history, for, for, a lo- like, for most of, uh, of the centuries down the line, to call someone religious or pious has actually been a very high compliment. I mean, that, that guy is very religious. He's very pious, meaning he's very dedicated to God. But somewhere along the way, we, we kind of shifted the, the gears on that term, and so now as we think about someone being religious or pious or godly, it's, it's, a, it's got negative, negative overtones, right? It, it means that, that he's a religious nut. You know, he's, he's way overboard. He's, he's crazy. So what does it mean to be godly? When you call someone, man, that, that guy is godly. What do you mean? Well, If you're taking notes, godliness is having the heart of God and therefore being like him. Godliness is having the heart of It's it's having a a heart after God's own heart. It's having a heart that is passionate for justice. Are are you passionate for justice? Does does injustice bother you? It's having a heart of mercy of seeing the poor and the weak and the needy and having compassion on them. It's a heart of love that, that extends a hand to the outsider, right? The, this, this, is, this is what it means to have a heart, the heart of God, to, to have a heart filled with justice, love, mercy, kindness, and to hate sin. Yes, church family, God, God does have hate in his heart, and it is towards sin. Love, justice, mercy, peace, patience, kindness, and a hatred of sin. It's to have the heart of God. Now, when you have the heart of God, when those things are deep inside you, love, justice, mercy, a hatred of sin, when that is in your heart, what then results is, is that comes out in action. Your life begins to to flow from justice, love, mercy, peace, and a hatred of sin, therefore you avoid sin, and therefore you are godly. You are like God. We're going to talk about this more in just a little bit, about sharing the divine nature with God. You are not God, but you become like him in that, in that sense. That's what, it, that's what it means to be godly. So let, let's look at this, now that we've unpacked it, let's look at this idea as a whole. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What, what this text is saying is we have everything that we need to live a godly life. We, we have everything we need. Listen, I love books. I love reading books. We, we, we are selling books out. We just told you to go buy books. But if we're, if we're trying to live a godly life and looking for the next tip, the next trick, the next way to live a godly life outside of the Bible, you're missing it. You have everything that you need to, to live a life full of godliness revealed by Jesus Christ himself in the word of God that we have right here. We have everything that we need to avoid uh, sinful actions such as unnecessary violence, drunkenness, sex outside of marriage, abusive language, stealing, neglecting to serve my spouse above myself. Oh, is, oh, is, okay, okay. We have everything that we need. We have everything that we need to not be short-tempered with our children. We, we have everything that we need to, to get unstuck. Not only is it saying that we have... Everything that we need to avoid sinful actions, but it also says we have everything that we need to avoid sinful thoughts. We have everything we need. So, so when that person uh, comes flying out in front of you in traffic, and then insists on driving ten miles under the speed limit, and you're thinking in your head, "I'm gonna follow this person home and punch them in the throat or the stomach," that is, that is. Anger, right, and what this is saying is that we have what we need to even not just conform our lives, what we do, but how we think to a godly way of living. So when, so when that attractive person walks by and you take that second, third look, fourth look, what this is saying is we have what we need to not lust after people, to, to not think angry, rage, Thought. Okay, when, when that person is talking to you and, and you're at work and that person's talking and you're thinking in your head, I am so glad I'm not like this big idiot because, they, you know, that's pride. That's pride. And so what this is saying is we have everything that we need by the divine power of Jesus to live a life of godliness. Avoiding sinful actions, taming our thoughts, we, we have all of that, meaning this, I can truly change. That, that's his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I don't have to be stuck in a rut and a pattern of sin. I truly can change. You truly can change. Jesus can do the changing in you. Like As, as we understand that now, you should begin to have hope welling up in you. That's what this text does when you fully realize it, when you fully understand the implications of his divine power and what it gives us for life and godliness. Hope should start welling up in you that, yes, I can have a happy and fruitful marriage. I, I can be a parent who is excited and joyful and exuberant over my kids. I, I can figure out how to, to view my work. Um, not so that it's my God and not that it's like, soul-sucking, right? But I can view my job in the sense that I work for my boss like I would work for Jesus, right? That, that's, that's what this verse is saying, right? We, we, this, this should pump us up and fill us full of hope. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, how does this divine power then come to us i'm going to suggest to you that there are are two methods of delivery or two ways um, that this divine power comes to us and i know that uh some people in the room are uh, maybe a little conceptually challenged so i want you to imagine in your mind maybe there will even be a, a helpful visual uh a a river right here it is there there is this this powerful river of Jesus divine power that is that is flowing into our lives right that that happens and and on one bank that is essentially channeling this river of of Jesus divine power is knowledge that that's one bank that's how we're receiving this through the knowledge And then then on the other bank is the promises. And these two ideas, knowledge and promises, make up the bank on either side of this powerful river of Jesus' divine power being poured into our life. Do you get that in your mind? Can you see that picture? Okay, if you can't see that picture, get some glasses, okay? It's big up on the screen. Now, let's look at the text because I, I, I want you to see what I'm talking about here. His divine power... Has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, here it is, through, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Did you know that you were called to this knowledge? Christian, you were, you were called to this knowledge. You... Um, a divine decree went out from the king of the universe directly to you in such a way that you had to respond. Right. That's calling. Okay, so there's, there's, there's two types of calling. There is a general call that goes out to everyone everywhere. There is a separate call called the effectual call. That we're, I told you we're doing some theology today. There is general calling and effectual calling. Okay, general calling. Look at Romans 1, 19 through 20. Romans 1, 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. The the, them here is all humans everywhere, humanity. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. That is the general call that goes out to all humanity everywhere to bow the knee to the creator. That, That call goes out to everyone everywhere. But there is a different call or an, an effective call or effectual call that when this call goes out from God to a specific Christian, that Christian responds in faith. Um, so the, uh, here, here's the way it says it in First uh, Peter 2.9. It says that we were called out of darkness into, who remembers? Into the marvelous light. Dr. Wayne Grudem says it this way. If you're taking notes, effectual calling is an act of God speaking through human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. Church family, this is the call that the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 8. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That, that is this call. We were called into this knowledge. By his divine power, he granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called to us. Now, what knowledge? We're, we, we, now we know we're called into it, but what is it that we know? Well, we know that we were once children of God. We know that because of Adam's sin, sin spread to all men, and therefore all men sin. We are born sinners by nature and by choice, and we continue in a life of sin. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ, being fully God, put on flesh, became a human, came to earth. He lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, in our place for our sins, perfectly obeying the Father at every turn. Um, His sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross now becomes the way that we are reunited to God the Father through the divine power of Jesus. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. The knowledge of the gospel forms the bank on one side of the river of the flowing divine power of Jesus. It's the knowledge, the knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of who Jesus is. That's that's why it says, look at the text, the knowledge of him, the knowledge of him, the knowledge of Jesus and what he did um, on the cross, his substitutionary death for us. If you're taking notes, knowledge of the gospel helps us to live a godly life. Knowledge of the gospel helps us live a godly life. When you understand that you are not your own, you were bought with a price. What does that do? Well, it means that your desires now are no longer king of your life. That's how most people live. Most people live as if their desires are king of their life. Whatever I want to do, whatever I think is best, however I think my children should be raised, whatever I think I I should do with my money, whatever I think should happen in my marriage, my desires and what I think is the king of my life. Oh, no, no, no. If you understand the gospel, the gospel says you were bought with the price. Jesus paid with his life, his lifeblood, ran down the cross to purchase you. If you understand that, then... It's not about me anymore. My life belongs to King Jesus. So it's whatever Jesus says I must do with my money, that's what I'll do with my money. Whatever Jesus says I do with my marriage, that's what I do with my marriage. However, Jesus says I raise my kids, that's how I raise my kids, because I was bought with a price. In addition, the cross says that that you are now a part of the family of God. And so if I'm a part of the family of God, then I need to act according to the, the family values. God has family values, does he not? And so by virtue of the cross, we become a part of the family and therefore act according to the family values. Do you see how that bank, the bank of knowledge on on that one side, channels that divine power of Jesus into your life, which helps you live a life of godliness? Is that making sense? Okay. Now, the other bank. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him— who called us to his own glory and excellence, verse 4, by by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. His precious and very great promises. We know that the promises of God are, are precious. We know that they're great. What promise, though? We asked the question, what knowledge? And it was the knowledge of Him, the knowledge of Jesus and what He's done on the cross. But what promises? What specific promises? Well, He doesn't tell us what promises. He just says, the promises. So we should take that to mean what? All of them. All the promises of God. Every every last one of the Bible is absolutely full of the promises of God. The promises of God just abound all through all throughout the Scriptures. What what about the promise that He who began a good work in me will see it to completion, yeah. Philippians one six. What about the promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God, Romans eight thirty nine. What about the promise that He will never leave us or forsake us? Those promises. I'll just read to you Hebrews. 13 five keep your life free from the love of money and do not be and do be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you yes. that is a promise of God that is a promise of God and as a matter of fact in this verse it's actually unpacking for us how the promise of God actually informs godly behavior did you, did you see that in Hebrews keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have why because God God's got us. I, I, I don't have to love money. Why? Be, because God's going to take care of me. God will provide for me. He will never leave me or forsake you. It is the promise of God that actually informs godly behavior. Do you see that? Okay, uh, what about the promise that God will satisfy my soul? Matthew five six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God promises that He is the one that satisfies your soul. It's not bigger houses and better cars and and more power and and fame on Facebook or more likes or whatever. He He's telling us that He is the one that will satisfy our soul. And what about all the rest of the promises in the Sermon on the Mount? Just go read Matthew five. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom. That's a promise. That's a promise for those who are poor in spirit. They get the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or do you feel mournful today? God promises that He will He will comfort you. And on and on and on I could go. The Bible is absolutely filled with the promises of God, and they are great and very precious, are they not? Yes. Here's my point. If you're taking notes, the promises of God help me see what the world offers will never satisfy my soul and therefore spurs me on to a life of godliness. This, this, the knowledge of the gospel and the promises, the rock-solid promises of God that he is the one that satisfies my soul, that becomes the divine channels, the banks that flows in the divine power of Jesus in my life to live a life of godliness. Amen? Amen. Now, let's look at the two results, and and then I'll be out of your hair. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, this is very interesting, you may become partakers in the divine nature. That's the first result. You may become partakers in the divine nature. What in the world does that mean, <laughs> that we become partakers in the divine nature? Well, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but Mormonism falsely teaches uh, that if you obey the commandments of God, you actually become a god. That's what they teach. You, um, you receive your own planet where you are there as the god of your planet uh, called to uh, procreate or um, make children for all of eternity. And so the Mormon would look at this text and say, there you go. We, we become partakers in the divine nature in the sense that we become God. Uh, no, <laughs> that is incorrect. Uh, that, that, that would be a, a, a gross misunderstanding of this text. What is Peter getting after? Well, um, how do we partake in the divine nature? Well, we partake in the divine nature in the sense of verse 3, uh, that we live a life of godliness. That that's where uh, he's saying that we we partake in the divine nature by sharing with God his communicable attributes. OK, God has incommunicable attributes and we're doing more theology. Is that OK? God has communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. Incommunicable attributes. God is all knowing. Church family, you will never be all knowing. Uh, g- uh, God is all powerful. God is everywhere all the time. Those are incommunicable attributes that we do not and will not ever share with God. There are also communicable attributes, communicable attributes of God, such as uh, the aforementioned, love, justice, mercy, peace, kindness. All of those are attributes of God in which, as we're living a life of godliness, we begin to partake in the divine nature by sharing in God's communicable attributes. The second result is then this, by which... He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Listen to this one. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world. So what this is telling us is not only does it result in us partaking within the divine nature, it also results in us escaping corruption from the world that is a result of sinful desires. Well, we have to begin by saying there are sinful desires. We live in a world that would have you believe that there are no such thing as sinful desires. What, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, it's, that, that's fine. We, we will affirm you, accept you, applaud you with whatever choice you make. No, church family, there are sinful desires. The uh, famous American... Uh, a filmmaker, Woody Allen, um, had had an affair with his stepdaughter, ended up marrying her. And in an interview, the, the interviewer asked him, what, you know, what, what do you have to say about this? And here, here was Woody Allen's response. He said, the heart wants what it wants. His stepdaughter. There are sinful and evil desires, and what this text is telling us is what those sinful and evil desires do is they corrupt. They're corrosive. So, so to walk outside of a godly way of living is destructive for you. It, it's corrosive for you. It it breaks down. God's way is is not saying, okay, we don't, you know, we don't want you to have any fun. We don't want you to enjoy anything. No, no, no. God's way is actually the way of optimal human flourishing. That's God's way. And to do it any other way is, is corruptive. And so um, by virtue of having the divine nature, uh, by virtue of having this knowledge and the promises, by virtue of sharing in this, we now have escaped corruption. We escape the corruption um, of, of the world. And, and you might say, but but Pastor Kirk, I, I still have some of those old desires. I still have some of those desires sinful desires. Well, that's exactly why Jesus has given you his divine nature so that you can battle those, so that you escape corruption. Because church family, what ultimately happens to us as believers is not only are we escaping corruption here and now by having good desires, good desires such as reading the Bible, good desires such as coming to church, good desires such as helping other people. We're escaping corruption in that way. But listen, church family, we ultimately escape corruption. We ultimately escape corruption when the trumpet sounds, when the clouds are rolled back as a scroll, when the Lord descends, when he makes all things new, when all the things that are broken are mended, when all scars are healed, when every tear is is stopped, when all mourning is over, God will set and build up a perfect place where we will live with him forever and we will have ultimately escaped corruption. That's, That's good news. That's good news. So what what are these two verses all about? Take, Take this down. Despite what we think or feel, we can change because Jesus can do the changing in us. You have everything you need. You've got what you need. What do you need? The knowledge and the promises, and you've got that. You've got the knowledge, if you're a Christian, you've got the knowledge and you've got the promises so you don't have to be stuck in that same old rut of sin. You don't have to keep going back there again and again and again. You don't have to keep dealing with it over and over and over again. You can have a happy, joy-filled marriage. You can parent like you actually love Jesus, okay? You can you can go to work without it being your God. You can treat money like, like God wants you to treat money. You can live a life of godliness. You have everything that you need And so no one in here has to be stuck this morning. There is hope. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. And so I'll say it again. The main idea, the big idea, real change is possible through the power of Jesus. You're not stuck. You're not stuck. Jesus has the power to change the hearts of men. The question is, do you want Jesus to change you? Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this deep and rich text filled with your wisdom and power. Lord, I pray now that you would send your Holy Spirit to take this text and plant it into our hearts and into our minds so that we might meditate on it over and over and over again about what it means to have your divine power granted to us for everything that we need for life and godliness. Help us to meditate on that this week. Lord, I pray now for the person that feels stuck. I pray for the person that's been battling that sin again and again and again, and they feel like they're not getting anywhere. Lord, send your spirit even now in a powerful way to release the chains of bondage, to fight back Satan and demons and all their works and effects, that we might walk in freedom from sin, becoming more and more like you each day as we experience what it means to share with you in the divine nature and escape corruption. I pray all these things in the mighty and the powerful name of our great King Jesus. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.